Father, uh, tonight as we continue here in Esther, I do pray, Lord, that uh, God, what a different kind of uh, uh, the whole study and book this is. And yet, God, it seems it's like you're, you're not mentioned, but yet you're in every part of this. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that it would speak to our hearts, especially at the times where we feel you're not there, where we, where we feel uh, maybe you're distant from us, that we would learn from Esther that, Lord, you're never distant, you're never far away, and you haven't given up, you haven't quit. So I do pray that as we look at this and kind of put some things together, Lord, that once again it would just, it would encourage us with our walk with you. And Lord, maybe tonight we're hurting in some way. I pray that having and gaining confidence in you that, that Lord, you would begin putting balm on that hurt and changing that and, and uh, uh, Lord, healing that. So I do pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and our ears, but most importantly, open up our hearts and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're getting into Esther now, it's, it is a, a book I mentioned last week where God is not mentioned in the entire book, which is strange for one of the books of the Bible, that he's not mentioned yet. It seems like every page he's there if you kind of look behind the scenes and, and understand what's going on. But having said that, the way this book starts out is a little bit weird when you think about it. Last week when we read chapter one, we were talking about the feast that, that Ahasuerus had, the long one, then the short one, the feast that, that Vashti had, then the fight that they had. And uh, you look at that and you're going, why are we reading this? You know, some of it, I mean, some of it reads like kind of a bad TV show or something, and, and you're, you're looking at it and going, well, that's a little bit odd for the Bible. Well, it doesn't get a whole lot better tonight. <laughs> it's just weird. As you, as you read through this, you know, I, I got to be honest. If you just handed someone the book of Esther and had them read it, would they even know they were reading Scripture? It's kind of interesting when you think about it, if you just, you know, if you just typed it up and said, hey, read this, read this little short novel or whatever. So, so, but as believers, man, we read this. I don't know about you guys, but I read this and I get excited. I get excited for this reason. My God is in control. And you know what? No matter how bad, how ugly, no matter what happens, you know, politically and, and socially, my God is working his plan. And, and, you know, man, I read this and, hey, I got to think there was a whole bunch of people thinking God wasn't there. And yet there he is in the midst of that. So as we, again, as we look at this, I, wanna, I want us to understand one more thing. Sin is deceptive. And we look at Ahasuerus. He was a piece of work. And, and you know, he, I think he thinks his life's okay and it's so not. So, verse 1, it says, After these things, when the, wrath, uh, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been done, uh, what had been decreed against her. Now, something to understand it, his wrath subsided because this is about four years later, so I would hope it subsided. I mean, staying mad for four years would be kind of tough, right? 
But he had gone to war. Remember last week I mentioned he went to war against the Greeks? So he took off, he went to war. He did not do well. It was horrible. So now he's come back. So he's gone to war, he's come back, he banished her, and I think he's kind of back, and I don't know about you guys, but when something goes wrong with my day or my year or whatever, I want to talk to my wife about it. I would hope you're that way, you, or maybe I could put it a different way. I kind of want to whine, <laughs> you know, and, and guys are going, not me. Yeah, what kind of, honey, I can't believe you. <laughs> and so I, I kind of think that's where, hey, I think that's where Ahasuerus is, and he came home after losing that, and he went to whine, and there's nobody to whine to. So he's a little freaked out, right? And he's going, man, why did I decree that? And I kind of think, I think he's asking himself, but I think he's also asking it out loud. And now some people are starting to freak out. This is not a good thing. So I think they're getting a little bit nervous, like, man, if he brings her back, I think especially that one guy, what was his name? Well, the Mac Movement or whatever, that, that dude. I think he's really worried, right? If he brings her back, she's gonna like, she's gonna chop my head off. So I think he's kind of going that direction. And then, and then it says, then the king, in verse two, then the king's service who attended him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought uh, for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan or Susa, the citadel, and into the women's uh, quarters under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let, a beauty, and let beauty preparations be given them. So here's the deal. These guys don't want him bringing Vashti back. So here's what they come up with. They go, hey, let's just get you a bunch of ladies. I mean, uh, that's what he's saying. Let's just get you a bunch of ladies and, and let's bring them all and just like swoop them up and bring them here and then we're gonna take care of them and we'll make them really pretty for you and we'll get you a whole bunch of virgins. How's that, king? Is that bizarre? I mean, do you, guys read, do you guys read this and think, this is just, it's weird and it's gross. What is the matter with this king? What is the matter with the people? Like, let's gather all of them. And so they're going to gather them from everywhere. And hey, and then we'll, we'll make sure before they come to you, they're, they're really, you know, they're prepared to come before the king. They're ready. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I read this and I think, this guy is off the rails if he goes for this. Now, we don't know if he's going to go for it yet or not, do we? All of you are going, yeah, we do. Well, I know you read the book before, but pretend. Listen, man, he's at a place. He's got to make a decision. He's got to decide. And, and again, I, I read my Bible sometimes, and like I'm praying, Ahasuerus goes, you guys are nuts. I'm not going to go do that. Why would I do that? And we're going to find out. It gets more and more complex and complicated. Remember, sin, when we looked at Judas, sin will take you further than you intended to go. And it will cost you more than you intended to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you intended to stay, right? So, hey, we got all that going on. So I think as it's presented, he's probably thinking, well, that's not such a bad idea. 
hey, you know, every king wants a few, you know, virgins hanging around and, and to do that. So, again, he's gross. I'm just saying what's going on. So, hey, good idea, I guess. Verse 4, then let the young woman who please, the, who, yet the, let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, and this thing pleased the king, and he did so. So here's the deal. Listen carefully. This is not a beauty pageant. This is young ladies being kidnapped from their homes, taken, and taken for this king, and they're going to be given through treatment, they're going to be taken care of, and then they're going to go before the king, sleep with him one night, and if it doesn't work out, then they're banished to his harem forever. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but if I was a young lady in that kingdom, I'd be hiding right now. Or get married real quick. I mean, listen, man, you gotta protect your, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm reading this and the ramifications, listen, the ramifications are not good for the young ladies, although it may sound good, right? Hey, we're gonna take you, man, we're gonna prepare you, we're gonna, you know, I've, I have read ahead. We're gonna put all kinds of oils on you. We're gonna soak you in, listen to this, we're gonna soak you in perfume for six months. Like, it's gonna be in your pores, you're gonna be, a perfume bomb. <laughs> so we're gonna do that. So hey, and I think that'd be a little bit hard to resist. I think if you're a young lady and you got a chance to be queen, but the other side of it, you don't think about. The other side of it's horrible. If you don't cut the mustard, so to speak, then you're banished and hey, you're gonna be lonely, you're gonna be isolated, and you're just gonna be with a bunch of frustrated women. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Sorry, ladies, but, I mean, come on, that's reality. That would be terrible, wouldn't it, as you're like stuck in this thing. So, so he says, yeah, let's do it, let's go for it. So it tells us then in, in uh, verse five, in Shushan, or Susa, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with uh, uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So well, now we're introduced to this guy named Mordecai. And actually, that is a... That is a, 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 a a Babylonian or Persian name. That's not a. That's not a Jewish name. But here we're introduced to this guy, and we're told his bloodline, right? And in some of your translations, in verse six, say he had been carried away. And so the big dilemma is: it was Kish that was carried away, or was it Mordecai who was carried away? Now, I think it's got to be Kish, for this reason. Jeconiah was in that first deportation. That first deportation was probably close to 100 years ago. So if he was carried away and if it was Mordecai, he's well over 100 
by now. So I don't think it's Mordecai. I think, it's, I think it was his father or grandfather was carried away in that. And Jack and I remember that's when they took Daniel and all of the best of the leadership of Israel. That's when they took them all away and they were all in that, that captivity. And Mordecai was caught up in that. So we're introduced to that guy. He's a Jew. And then it's interesting. Here's the thing. You got to ask yourself, why didn't he go back to Jerusalem. They were released. Why didn't he go back? Some say everyone who didn't go back was out of God's will. Well, I know for a fact Daniel didn't go back. And Danny's a pretty good guy, right? Read about Daniel, he's got it. So I think we gotta be careful when we say that. Now, I don't know if Mordecai was in God's will or not. I don't know if God was trying to push him to go and he refused to go. But nonetheless, he's hanging out. He's liking it in Susa, hanging out there. Maybe he's got a good business going. Maybe he's got other things going. But there he is, he's there. And then it says in verse uh, seven, and Mordecai had brought up uh, Hadassah, that is Esther under his, uh, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the young woman was lovely and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So here's Mordecai, and he raised up his younger cousin, right? Took care of her, took her under his wing, and so now we're introduced to these two. Now here's what's interesting. Mordecai's name is in here, I think, 78 times. God's name's not in here at all. That's kind of weird, right? But Mordecai's repeated over and over and over, so we know he's a main character. Esther's name is repeated over and over. By the way, we're given her Hebrew name and her, uh, her uh, some people want to say pagan name, but I don't think that's right, her Persian name. And some people get into the meetings, meanings. I don't think it's important. They say Esther uh, can mean star or it can mean they're worshiping to God as star, and uh, it could be that, but it, I, don't, I don't think that's all that's going on there. Got her, but here's the thing, she's beautiful. Now, if you're Mordecai and you're a Jew and you know the king is looking for beautiful young women so that he can have them, wouldn't you hide your cousin she's been taken care of? I mean, there's questions I do have about this whole story, and, but yet, here's what I know. God is in control, and God is working his plan, but I gotta ask, like, dude, why didn't you hide your cousin? What, what's the deal there? Because you know she's beautiful, you know he's gathering the, you know, the hot chicks, and are bringing them all in, and why wouldn't you protect her and do that? I don't think Mordecai knew what was gonna happen eventually. I don't think he's read chapter three and chapter four and chapter five. So I'm not sure he's in on that, but it's just interesting that he doesn't do that. And then it tells us in verse eight, so it was when the king's command and the decree was heard and when many young women were gathered at Shushan or Susa the citadel under the custody of Hegai that Esther was also taken, or that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Hegai, the custodian of the women. So she got swept up in this thing, what, for whatever reason. Maybe he tried to hide her and didn't get her hid. For whatever reason, now you have this Jewish girl swept up in this big gathering of Gentiles, right? Uh, of these people 
for the king. She's got to feel really awkward. She's got to feel out of place. It's got to be difficult for her. And again, just thinking about her and who she is and what's going on. Uh, some people make a big judgment here. They say Mordecai and Esther were like totally in sin during this part. I don't know if they were or not. But something's happening. Something's going on that's not, you know, that's not good. But here's what I know. God knows what's going to happen in a few months. And people are being put in place that can do something about that to protect the Jews. And hey, if they're in sin, God can use them in sin. If they're out of God's will, doesn't matter. Sometimes people teach this. They go, you know what? If you don't find God's will for your life, you like will wander, I guess, aimlessly forever and ever and ever. And, and I hear people say that and I think, ah, I, I, don't think, I don't think we serve a God like that. Now I do believe, listen, I do believe right now in this part, I do believe they gotta be somewhat out of God's will. She shouldn't be in some kind of harem with a Gentile king. He shouldn't have allowed them to take his, his, for all intents and purposes, his daughter. So something's going on, but here's what it tells me. God works in spite of us. And God can get done what he needs to get done, whether we are going to cooperate or not. He's going to get it done. Sometimes, listen, sometimes he just grabs somebody else and doesn't use us. I've, I've experienced that. I'm sure some of you have experienced that, where God is kind of nudging you in a direction and you're going, no, I don't want to do that right now. And you make all these lame excuses. And then we put out fleeces. I love that. And then so here's what God does. Okay, I'll just use somebody else because you're making this way too complicated. So we have here, here we have Esther. She's taken up. But it, listen, she's taken up, but look what happens in verse 9. Now the young woman pleased him, who's him? He guy, the keeper of the women. Let's just call him that. That's just kind of a weird title, right? What do you do? I keep the harem. It's kind of weird. So, right, she pleased him and she obtained his favor so that he readily gave, so that he readily gave her beauty preparation, or he readily gave beauty preparation to her besides her allowance. So here's what's going on, man. This he guy really liked her. She's a likable girl, I guess. He really liked her. So like she was supposed to get certain, everybody got this much, Esther got more. Isn't that interesting? She's going for this thing and she finds favor with the guy who's taking care of the girls and all of a sudden, man, she's getting extra stuff that other people aren't getting. Don't tell me God's not watching. Don't tell me God's not in control. Don't tell me God's not working his plan. Even though, hey, even though just reading this, you're thinking, no, I don't think, you know, I don't hear it's him. This is going on. So she got that. And then it tells us also in, in, uh, later on in verse 9, then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. So bottom line, he guy's taking care of her. He's liking this girl. That's God. I mean, you can say what you want about her. That's the Lord intervening, making sure 
things are going to get taken care of. So now she's got this thing going on, and then it tells us uh, kind of what happens in verse 10. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Now, I don't think it's necessarily evil to keep your ethnicity or your race hidden if you want to. I think that's a, that's a person. I don't think that's necessarily evil, but I think it's evil if you're not serving your God the way you're supposed to. And here's what I know right now. Mordecai and Esther are not serving the God of Israel. If they were, then they would be known for that. What is the one thing the Jews, as they were taken into captivity and taken away from everything, what is the one thing they were known for? Because they were faithful to their God. These two are not. And hey, I'm not saying they're horrible people, I'm just stating a fact, they were not. Because if they would have been faithful to their God, then those guys would have known, hey, you're a Jew. Why? Because you're staying kosher. Hey, she's doing all of this weird stuff, and plus, She's gonna go sleep with a, with a Gentile king here in a little bit. So I know, listen, I know that, that she's out there, but I also think Mordecai's not doing it, and then he's telling her, don't let them know you're a Jew. Keep that on the, you know, keep that on the down low, and we don't want anybody to know that. So that's what she's doing. She's, she's faithful to her cousin who was basically, you know, to her a dad, and then verse 11 says, and every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the, women's, of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. You know something I found in my life? When I'm walking with the Lord and I'm close with the Lord, I do a lot less pacing. When I'm distant from God and I'm not trusting God and I'm doing my own thing, I pace a whole bunch. I'm like back and forth and back and forth. I wonder if Esther's okay. I wonder if she's gonna be taken care of. If you're walking with the Lord, you're not worried about that because you know you can trust him. You're not walking with the Lord, you're freaking out, right? So I think he's on Malax. I think he's got a lot of stuff going on. And he's like, he's like getting ulcers. He's worrying about her. And that's a good thing, but he shouldn't, he shouldn't have to. And then verse 12 kind of tells us what I already talked about. Each young woman woman's turn came to go in to King Ahasuerus after he had complete after they or after she had completed the 12 months of preparation according to the requirements for the women for thus were the uh, for thus were the days of their preparation uh, 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 their preparation uh, apportioned six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying the women. So man, you know, hey, they were well taken care of, right? They were like, they, you know, I kind, I kind of look at it this way. They were massaged with the best oils and making sure their skin was perfect. They're like got the best perfumes. Everything's happening to these ladies. And you might even think, well, that's a good thing. But here's the thing. One night with a king, and then it's over if he doesn't choose you. And it's not over like you can go back home. You don't get to leave. They have to stay there. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? And, you know, I read this, and I got to think, I got to think that Ahasuerus was, he was a horrible individual, 
He used women, used women. Horrible man. And, you know, you read about this and you're going, man, you know, you read about stuff today happening and, and here it is, you know, thousands of years ago, and this guy's doing this stuff. And he's getting away with it. So the women are there, verse 13, thus prepared each young woman went to the king and she was given whatever she needed or she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. So here's the thing. When you're ready to go in, the wardrobe, anything you need, you can take that will give you success with the king. And here's what's going on. He's gonna take them. He's gonna have sex with them. If it's good and he likes it, he's gonna keep them. If it's good and he doesn't like them, he's not gonna keep them. Whatever, he's, he's got complete control of these women, but he's gonna sleep with them one night, have sex with them one night, and then psh, off you go if he doesn't like you. Now that guy is a classic misogynist. You know, you kinda of hear those terms thrown around today, and I think, man, this guy is the king of every chauvinistic, everything you could ever think about, about a man. And he's a horrible individual. So that's what he's gonna do with these young girls till he finds one he likes. So again, I just think, and you don't make stuff like this up, right? So he does this, verse 14. In the evening, in the evening she went, well, let's do 13. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king and, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters uh, to the king's palace. And in the evening she went and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of, uh, of Shea Ashgaz, the king's eunuch. What a, what a name, right? The king's eunuch who kept the concubines and she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. So that's what's going on. Esther's watching this. Mordecai's watching this. Everybody's watching this. Now, when the, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai who had, been, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what he guy, the king's eunuch, the keeper or the custodian of the women uh, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So she's a good looking lady, right? So she's all ready to go in. He guy sets her up for success. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So success, right? But man, it cost her a lot, didn't it? And you're kind of thinking, listen, you gotta be thinking, what's going on in that young lady's mind and heart and what's happening with her as she is there with this Gentile king? If you're familiar with the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
What was the big deal when they were coming back to, to Jerusalem, to Israel? What was the big deal? Do you, have, you, have you guys read those? Here was the big deal. The Jews were intermarrying with Gentiles. It was huge. Here's what you gotta know. This is taking place during that time. And here's a Jew marrying a Gentile. I don't care if he's king or not. She's not supposed to be doing that. That's a major, listen, she's like breaking so much of Deuteronomy, it's crazy. Number one, just going and sleeping with this guy is horrible. And you know, I just have a picture of a gross, gross man who's horrid to women in my head. I, you know, I, I don't think he was like this guy that everybody wanted to be around. So she does it, now she gets to be queen. He puts a crown on her head, and then here's kind of the crazy thing in verse 12, or I'm sorry, verse 18. It says, the king made a great feast. Wow, this is the fourth feast. These guys are like feasting people, aren't they? Like they're always partying. This was one partying group of, of Persians that were like, you know, hey, I know, let's have a party. I know, let's kick out Queen Vashti. Let's have a party. Let's get a new queen. Let's have a party, right? So he's gonna have a feast and here's what he called it, the Feast of Esther. Well, that's wonderful. So they have the Feast of Esther. Now listen to what he does. For all, the official, all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. Here's what some people say that means. He let people not pay taxes for a year. Well, that's a pretty cool king, huh? Kind of wish that would happen here. <laughs> right? The IRS say, hey, don't pay for a year. All right. So now, listen, now it's set up Esther's queen. Kind of weird. If you really think about it, who is she? You know, you read about Daniel and his rise to power, and it was done right, wasn't it? Remember, remember what Daniel did? He wouldn't eat all of the food that they gave him. He says, I can't eat that food. I'm kosher, I'm a Jew. And yet he still rose to power. Joseph, well Joseph had a little bit harder road. But he still, listen man, he still was faithful to God. And here's the crazy thing, now here's this girl who's not faithful to God, and yet, listen, she's risen to power. She's queen with this, with this Ahasuerus. Now here's what we know, she could be unqueened any moment, right? Like you could be kicked out at any time. You could be, Vashti's proven that. Now I gotta be really honest as I'm reading this. Here's what I'm thinking. What's Vashti feeling with all of this? She's gotta be, like she's gotta be burning, huh? I mean, I don't know, I don't, hey, I don't know if she's in there with the other concubines and all the other ladies. I don't know if she has her private apartment. I don't know if she's like got cement boots on and she's in the bottom of the ocean, you know? I have no idea what's going on with this lady, but hey, she's gotta be, if she's alive, she's gotta be a little bit, a little bit angry right now. So you have Vashti, and then now Esther's doing that. Now we kind of get some insight into why did God put these people in this place? Well, check out what happens next. It says, when the virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Oh, do you notice a big difference? There's a huge difference here. What was he doing when they were brought the first time? He was out in front of their quarters pacing, right? Now where is he? 
Sitting at the gate. What does it mean when you're sitting at the gate? Listen, it wasn't just a good place to have a seat. When you're sitting at the gate, you're a judge. You're somebody in power. Now Mordecai has gone from Mordecai, the guy pacing, to Mordecai, the guy who's making some decisions, who's got a little bit of power. How, where do you think Mordecai got his power from? Queen Esther, right? Queen Esther told Ahasuerus, hey, my cousin, can you take care of my cousin? He needs a job. Can you make him a judge? So now he's sitting in the gate. That's interesting, isn't it? So there he is. He's within the gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Hey, this is a faithful lady to her surrogate dad, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, this was her dad. And she obeyed him. That's a good, she had some good qualities and she had some bad qualities. But hey, she's being faithful to that. Now I still gotta wonder, why is Mordecai freaking out about this? I have read ahead. They do finally reveal themselves. But right now, man, they don't want anybody to know. They don't wanna spoil what's going on. So she's faithful. Mordecai saying, do not tell him yet. And then check out verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and uh, Tirish, doorkeepers, uh, became frustrated and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So now you got two guys that are saying, we're gonna get this guy. They wanna kill the king. They wanna do a coup. They maybe were Vashti's hitmen. Who knows? I mean, why all of a sudden do you have a couple guys wanting to kill the king right after he gets a new queen? Something's going on right? Something's going down, but they have this scheme to do things, and Mordecai hears them talking about it, and in verse 22 says, so the matter became uh, known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king uh, in Mordecai's name. So here's what's going on. These two guys want to kill the king, and Esther goes to the king and says, hey, Mordecai just overheard a conversation. And there's two guys that want to kill you. Big Thaf and whatever the other guy's, Turish. <laughs> These guys want to kill you. Now, that's some pretty heavy stuff, huh? And she lets him know that Mordecai gave that. This is extremely important. Now, the king doesn't recognize Mordecai. Look at verse 23. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed and both were hanged on gallows and it was written in the books of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So everything's recorded down, everything's written down. Now, most people say they weren't really hanged. I don't know why the New King James goes for that. The, the typical way that Persians would kill people is they would have a stake sticking straight up and they would grab you and impale you on it right under your rib cage and just and stick you on there and you would die that way. They wouldn't hang you around the neck. They would hang you on a stick with a stick going up into your, your, your rib cage cavity and taking care of things till you died. So whatever happened, hey, these guys got found out. They were executed. But notice what happened. Everything got written down. 
This is God, right? This is God working, taking care of things. Mordecai doesn't know what's coming. Ezra doesn't know what's coming. Ahasuerus doesn't know what's coming. The only people who know what's coming are us because we've read our Bibles. But these guys don't know what's coming. You gotta remember that. And all they're doing, listen, bottom line, here's what they're doing. They're living life. And they're not real faithful servants of God. And part of my point is, you don't always have to be extremely faithful. Here's what some of us think. God can't use me because, and you fill in the blank. You know, some of us think we're not smart enough. Some of us think we're not good enough. Some of us think we, you know, we don't do enough or, uh, you know, we don't pray enough. We don't do, hey, God can use you. If God can use Esther and Mordecai right here, God can use you. You just need to yield yourself to him. And you need to be somebody who starts listening to him and, hey, walking with him. But he can use you. You don't have to be a super saint for God to use you. It always cracks me up when people, you know, I'll talk to people and and they'll want to serve the Lord and they always give me these lame excuses, you know, like, well, I'm gonna serve the Lord and they they start filling in a blank. And here's, I'm, I'm pretty blunt. So here's what I tell them. You're never gonna serve the Lord. Do it now. Well, you know, right now I can't because I'm not smart enough, or right now I can't because, you know, and you have a bazillion excuses. I praise God that he stripped those excuses out of my life. And that he stripped away, and you know what? I don't regret for one moment the decision I made to go all in with God. It's been the greatest time of my life serving the Lord. And so, hey, we need to understand that and quit making excuses. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be a theologian. Here's what you need to be, available. Who's available here even? Esther and Mordecai, they don't even know they're available and they're available. So kind of keep that in mind and get that understanding and let God begin to use you in his way. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you that as we look here and read through uh, this passage and kind of get an understanding that even when, even when we don't see the big picture, that you're still working. Even when it's not out in lights, God is working, that you're working that things going on in our world that sometimes we don't understand, we can't quite connect the dots, we can't put it all together, that God, you're working. I think of this story. A hundred and some years before that event, some guy was taken captive who had a son, and that son had a son, and that son had a son. And now all of a sudden, here's this guy Mordecai involved with the king and with his cousin. And who would have thought when they were taken captive that that was your plan and you're working behind the scenes. And so God, I pray that we would be people who Lord, we don't judge everything by what's on the surface, but we look for your hand in things. And God, cause us to trust you. Cause us to understand that, Lord, 
Your will is being accomplished sometimes in spite of us. And that should bring us comfort. And, but Lord, we want your will to be, in, be accomplished through us. So God, make us vessels that are useful for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.